Hello and welcome to the Rogue Ministry Podcast. This is Justin Barringer, the Rogue Minister, and I'm here with my co-host. This is Rachel, the creator of Speech Strong Resources. And together we are co-founders of Diapers Etc. And of course, host of the Rogue Ministry Podcast, creating and sustaining faithful ministries. Welcome back to the Rogue Ministry Podcast. We have a brand new interview for you today. Now, if you were listening to our last podcast, we mentioned our interview with Tanya Torp, which was coming up. However, due to some scheduling changes, we're going to air that at a later date. Today, you get the pleasure of hearing from Larry Duggins of the Missional Wisdom Foundation. Larry actually spent 25 years in the financial industry before coming up with the idea for this foundation that you're going to hear about today. And just to give you a little taste of what they're about, their mission statement says this, The Missional Wisdom Foundation experiments with and teaches about alternate forms of Christian community. So, with no further ado, let's listen to Justin's conversation with Larry. All right, so on the line with us today, we have Larry Duggins. Larry, how are you doing? I'm great, Justin, thanks. Delighted to be here. Larry is the leader. What's your title at the Missional Wisdom Foundation? I am the executive director and one of the three leaders. All right, and the Missional Wisdom Foundation is something that's near and dear to me. Uh, some of their work is done in um, our church building that where I go to church, and a number of the the folks that Larry works with are, are friends of mine. So, Larry, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your qualifications, however you want to describe those, how you um, you know got into this, what it, what you what whatever you want to say about yourself. Got it. Got it. Thanks. Um, I spent the first twenty five years of my career as a business person. Um, I did. Um, commercial lending for um, a big bank for a long time and then uh, left that and uh, founded my own company to do a very specialized kind of real estate investment management. And did that for about 25 years. And back in 2008, uh, got whacked by the Holy Spirit who said, uh, hey, I've got other things for you to do. And uh, it, it was really pretty funny. I was I was flying on an airplane. It was in March, early March, and I was coming home from New York. I live in Dallas, Fort Worth, and so I was I was I coming coming back from New York for the third time uh, that week. And uh, so I was just totally shot. And literally, I'd kind of curled myself up in my seat, and I had my headphones on, and I was just totally and completely zoning out. And it was at that second that the spirit was just clear as day. So, you know, hey, what are you doing? Uh, how much more money do you need to make? How many much more deals do you need to do? I've got other stuff for you to work on. And so that, that happened in March of 2008. And long story short, in August of 2008, I was at Perkins School of Theology. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so uh uh, you know, did uh, a, a, a Master's of Divinity and a Doctor of Ministry there working with Elaine Heath. And mm-hmm. um, Elaine and I together uh, formed the Missional Wisdom Foundation at the beginning of uh, 2010. We did some 
some community stuff in, in 2009, but really um, got it got it rolling in the early part of 2010. And so we're running up to our 10th anniversary here, which is um, pretty incredible, actually. That is, and that that's a quick turnaround um, to to get the, the the message, and within a couple of months, just completely change the direction of your life. I I joke with some of my colleagues who are former bankers and economists and whatnot that they're now doing penance um, for that <laughs> former life. So I don't know if that's true for you as well, but um, I, I've, I've joked with them about that. So it, it, it sounds like you were you were given some direction, but like, how did you and and Elaine kind of? What well, what was the big idea? How did you how did you get the big idea to do the kind of work that you're doing? You know, it was funny. At the end of my first year of um, of my MDev work, um, I was getting ready to go on a Perkins immersion trip. They take um, groups of um, MDev students uh, to various places across the world to kind of experience Christianity in different contexts. And this particular one was uh, a, a, a immersion in Celtic uh, spirituality, and we were going to go over to the um, Iona community and go see what the Wild Goose group was up to and go see the Northumbria community, and um, Elaine was leading it along with Michael Hahn. And uh, it turned out um, that uh, I was the only student who did not know Elaine going into that. I don't know how I got into the group, but I got there because uh, it was interesting. And so um, we literally sat down at the uh, airport gate getting ready to fly to uh, the U.K. and started talking about things that were important to us. And, uh, it, it was, it was just hysterical because there was so much overlap in terms of what, uh, I was thinking and what she was thinking that literally by the time we got to Iona, we were, we were on the only internet connected computer we could find, uh, trying to find a house to buy, uh, to start our first new monastic community. I, it was, it was crazy. It was one of those real Holy Spirit things. Um, but uh, they, the idea grew from that, and uh, what we wanted to do was kind of explore different kinds of Christian community. And so we, we mm-hmm. focused uh, on um, new monasticism at the beginning. Uh, you know, that was back at the time that Shane Claiborne was so hot and everybody was reading Shane and Jonathan Wilson Hardgrove and those folks. And um, so we, we started doing some intentional communities, and we also did some uh, home churches. And um, our home churches were focused on um, people who felt excluded from the the organized church. And so we, we did home church for refugees, and we did home church for the very poor, and we did home church for um, crack addicts outside of a, of a mobile home park. And um, what we found was that that stuff was awesome and was um was generating good fruit but it was very very niche very very specialized and so we wanted to start thinking about um what how, how those things were generating fruit and how we could apply it to the church as a whole and so um the three of us who were leaders at that time um came together and 
all kind of started to focus on uh, the passage in Matthew 18, I think it's 1820, that, that, that says, uh, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm with them. And we realized that the important part of that was not how people were gathered. It wasn't the way they were gathered. It was the fact that they were gathered in Christ's name. And so mm. having having figured that out and been given that, then, you know, we could do anything we wanted to. We could We could, you know, pull together any kind of group of folks. And as long as we were able to help them see Christ in their midst while they were gathered in that way, then um, we were building churches. And so we um, started to to do a little sociological research and to figure out how people were gathering together. And we came with four broad categories. We, we saw that people gathered around their workplaces, that they made friends around the water cooler or with the people they were doing business with. Uh, they found their friends around um, food. Uh, people love to, mm. to uh, eat together and, and all different kinds of uh, combinations. They also like often to work together to make food available for those who don't have it or to mm. grow food. And so food was a second broad category. The third broad category was around their kids in their kids' schools. Um, kids are so busy today that, that often the adults associated with the kids make their friends while they're standing on the side of a soccer field. <clears throat> so that was a third broad piece. And then the fourth is um, just uh, what we call affinity groups. They're, they're groups of people who either want to come together to do a certain activity or need to come together to do that. And that, that can range from book clubs to hiking clubs to bowling leagues all the way to um, things like Alcoholics Anonymous where those folks have to come together uh, to be able to maintain their sobriety. So within those four broad groups, the Missional Wisdom Foundation began experimenting to see how we could use unused church space to make those kinds of groups uh, available to neighborhoods that didn't have them. And um, so as a result, we ended up doing all kinds of crazy things. We, we, we had beekeeping and chicken yards and <laughs> book clubs and quilting clubs and co-working spaces and shared use commercial kitchens and all kinds of different things. And um, we really did find that as long as we were helping people see Christ in the midst, then those people were, were growing in faith and connecting with God in ways that they just wouldn't have otherwise. So, so that, that's, that's a big chunk of what we do is that experimentation. The other thing, and, and there's a long answer to the big idea, but I'm going to go for it is, is that we, we felt like because we were experimenting so much and trying all these things that we needed to teach people about that. And um, so mm -hmm. we have um, platforms that we um, use to uh, teach both clergy and laity about uh, forming these kinds of communities. And we uh, also teach um, people uh, what we call missional spiritual direction, uh, the idea of doing direction in such a way that it not only leads you to uh, explore your own inner depths, but to helps you to open those to um, the community around you. And so mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we teach, we uh, write a lot. We've we published 12 books in the last 10 years. And, uh, you know, just uh, try to uh, teach about and experiment with uh, alternative forms of Christian community. There's a lot there. One thing that I think I noticed when I first learned about the Mission Wisdom Foundation was that so much of the new monastic movement seemed to be made up of, and you mentioned some of these these folks, seemed to be made up of evangelicals or or ex-evangelicals or that kind of thing, or or maybe a few folks from from sort of Catholic communities. But it seems like y'all might be among the first who were really trying to do this out of a mainline denomination. Is that an accurate I think it is. I think it is. We um, uh, started um, uh, kind of working within the United Methodist Church, but then um, began expanding beyond that fairly early. Uh, in fact, um, Elaine and I wrote a book called Missional Monastic Mainline, where we um, uh, literally um, worked to help mainline congregations understand how this kind of uh, intentional community can really be additive to the life of a church and the life of a community. I'm a, I'm appreciative of that. And if Elaine ever listens to this, I just want her to know that uh, part of the reason I applied to do my PhD at SMU was because she was there, and when I showed up, <laughs> she had moved on. So, Elaine, if yeah. you're listening, I hope we still get to work together someday. Um so you you kind of already talked to that's that's what I hear from everybody and uh yeah. I met her one time and and had great interaction um so you you've kind of already talked about this a little bit but I, I know when folks are thinking about starting ministries or revitalizing ministries there's there's sort of sort of a, a daunting uh, step in that in that you in the moving from the idea to the doing of whatever it is. It's like uh, you you said that sort of the first thing y'all started doing was looking at a property to buy, but certainly there had to be other steps. So what did some of those those first days, those first meetings sort of look like, um, if you could describe some of that for folks who are thinking about jumping into something? Sure. Um, the, the the first real thing that we did was a new monastic community, and we um, had, uh, because we were um, uh, connected with Perkins, we had um, a number of of people who were interested in that kind of thing and students, and so um, Elaine uh, rounded up three young women um, to to to. Uh, live together in community. Uh, mm. A neighbor of hers had a house that had been a rental that um, the, the neighbor made available uh, for a while. Uh, so, so it was easy to start because there wasn't a big economic outlay at the beginning to get uh, to get a house, and um, it, it, it worked out quite wonderfully. Actually, our rule of life that we use today is largely based on the work that those three women did uh, in, um, uh, in, in forming their own uh, rule of life for their community. And what's fascinating is that um, 
One of them is an elder, one of them is a deacon, and one of them is a very active lay leader uh, in the United mm. Methodist Church. And so so 11 years later, they are living into their calls to ministry, and it's pretty darn wonderful. That's one of the things that I've witnessed personally in, in the Mitchell Wisdom Foundation, is it seems like a lot of it is that the, the the work being done is a training ground that so many folks live in, in community houses a lot of times for, for several years, and then they go somewhere else in the world and they take the skills they've learned and they start applying those. Maybe it's in, you know, pastoral ministry in a church or maybe it's in some, some other kind of way, but it, it seems that y'all really do focus a lot on sort of an educational or uh, mentoring kind of experience. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that because that really is something that's terribly important to us. Um, it's our experience that once you um, live into um, a community experience where you are um, around other people who are um, praying alongside of you and working alongside of you, that it uh, becomes kind of second nature. And when um, you move to someplace else, you long for that. And so we find that um, our students go to the places that they're headed and that they um, set up communities um, to surround themselves with. So a big question that uh, always comes up when I talk to folks who are thinking about starting up ministries and stuff is, where does the money come from? How are you? How are you funding? the work that you're doing, both how did you sort of fund it early on and then now that it's grown, um, you know, quite a bit in, in the last decade that y'all been up and running, how, how are you funding it now? Uh, I, I suggest that everybody who um, starts a community um, actually spends, you know, 10 years in investment banking running their own company first. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Not really, uh, but but I was I was you know I I was blessed to, to 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 come out of that experience with a little bit of seed capital, and so um, mm-hmm. uh, I was able to to get things started from that beginning. But that was insufficient um, for the long run, and so um, what we found was that. Uh, a lot of um, granting agencies were interested in projects that we were doing, and so the, the Texas Methodist Foundation has been a wonderful uh, source of funding for us, as has mm-hmm. uh, uh, David Crowley Foundation and the um, Duke Endowment and the Royce Reynolds Fund. Uh, they, there are um, a number of uh, entities that are very anxious to um, uh, put money in place to help things like this grow. Um, in addition, um, a number of our projects are actually income producing. And so um, uh, a great example is, is what you're familiar with there at White Rock, um, the mix co-working space and creative mm-hmm. space. Uh, you know, the mix um, has um, people who uh, rent co-working space from us. They have, uh, there are people there who, um, are members to use the commercial kitchen. There are people who run their businesses out of 
uh, Sunday school classrooms that we've uh, changed for their purposes. Mm-hmm. And um, what we find is that there's a nice intersection, if you look for it, between um, uh, the uh, a person's ability to get a real need of theirs filled and um, a, a person's ability to form uh, community connections um, with the church as they're doing that. And so um, a lot of our uh, people who come and flow through the mix end up being connected with White Rock in one way or another over time. But they also, um, you're a significant portion of them simply have their perception of what a church is and what a Christian is by um, working and living in that environment. And so um, it, it's, it's a nice intersection of being able to have enough money to pay for itself and to um, be able to have the legitimate um, uh, uh, Christian and um, ecclesiological purpose there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that goes all the way back to what you were talking about a little while ago. That sometimes it's bringing together it's these it's these affinity groups, and yeah. one sort of affinity group could could be people who are all looking for a space to to do their to do their jobs to start their small businesses. And yeah, next absolutely. thing you know, you've you've built a a community of people there who are all. Um, starting their businesses, working together on their businesses. But then I know this for a fact because I know some of these people personally, a number of them have been started attending, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday morning worship with us or something like that because of That's right. being part of, of that community. And if they're not, you know, attending with us, they're, like you said, they're growing in, in other ways in, in sort of that Christian community. Okay. That was part one. I hope you enjoyed it. We will pick up with Larry next time talking about staff-to-volunteer ratio, and he'll also tell us a little more about their work along with some of his favorite stories. And this is Justin Berenger, the Rogue Minister, signing off with my co-host... Rachel at Speech Strong Resources. And go check out our show notes. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review and comment. You can also submit questions, reviews, and comments on our Facebook page. And as always, be faithful to that which you have been called.